0: Hello and welcome to the Team Vittles inaugural podcast of Welcome to the Food Fight, Libraries and Food Insecurity Recorded April 12th, 2020 Today's episode is hosted by Team Vittles members Shane Hoffman and Sarah Schatz For more information, look for us on the web at www.teamvittles.org And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the Team Vittles podcast. This is Shane Hoffman at the Plain City Public Library, where I am so socially distanced that I have the library all to myself.
1: (laughs) It's a good approach.
0: Yeah.
1: Off, I am with Denison Library and currently working remotely because, you know, social distancing.
0: <laughs> I just happen to live a couple of blocks away, so I come in and do my IT thing on the weekends and keep the book drops clear.
1: appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. All right. Well, well Jane, we have quite a list of things we wanted to talk about today. Where would you like to dive in and start?
0: Well, I can just start right at the top of the list here. Uh, We're going to essentially talk about libraries in this time of uncertainty during this pandemic, what some libraries are doing now, what summer and fall could possibly look like, and we're going to try to share as many options for how your library can be a part of the food solution in your community.
1: Mm-hmm. And especially the food insecurity solution as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So looking at, especially especially in Ohio where we both are, what are we looking at in terms of food insecurity? So what are libraries kind of facing when they look at their patrons?
0: Well, libraries like every, everyone else are kind of, In a curious spot, some libraries are closed entirely. We can't have patrons inside the building, but a lot of us Mm -hmm. do have parking lots. We're located in good spots for foot traffic. Uh, If your schools are located outside of of town, like mine are, mine are a couple Mm -hmm. miles outside of town, they're largely in the middle of cornfields, <laughs> yeah, we do have one in town that they're using as a pickup point. But if they weren't there, the library would be a good spot uh, to handle all the lunch pickups. Uh, I know my mm-hmm. school is putting together breakfast and lunch packages five days a week. Yeah. That way, the
1: one in my the one in my area is as well. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, oh,
0: no, that's all right. Yeah, they're putting those together, uh, for any student, uh, I don't know if every school is the same, but any student who has their student identification number, their parent or whoever can come up and pick up a breakfast and lunch, uh, for their kids on a given day. That covers Monday through Friday. Uh, in my community, we're pretty lucky that there are a couple of other groups that get together to help prepare weekend bags for kids as well and I know for a fact that all of those groups are working overtime right now trying to make yeah. sure there's just there's enough enough food to get out for everyone because yeah even if uh, grocery shopping is an essential service you still have to have transportation to get out to the grocery or if you've been unemployed and haven't started receiving unemployment You know, there's a gap there.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think those backpacks, I really love those programs because I think they help to bridge that gap a little bit. And for anybody who might not be familiar, do you want to explain the backpack program a little bit, those weekend backpacks?
0: Well, in my community, it's a little different. They're independent groups uh, putting them together, but largely what these programs provide are either a backpack or a bag that supplies mm-hmm. a weekend's worth of shelf-stable meals normally. It's also something that doesn't need to be cooked, because you never know mm-hmm. when somebody has access to a microwave or a stove or not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So a lot of the meals I'm seeing right now might be something like canned spaghetti, which doesn't necessarily need to be heated, or Pop-Tarts, uh, cereal. Yeah. Those kinds of things. Granola bars are going out a lot.
1: Yeah. That makes
0: sense. So, and these programs can also be done in partnership with your Feeding America Food Bank. Uh, If you're listening to this, you're probably in Ohio where we have, I believe, 12 plus the Ohio Association of Food Banks and the state is divided up into regions, and with the exception of Preble County, which is split in half, every county is a part of one particular uh, regional food bank, and these food banks Mm -hmm. often will help you start up a backpack program. If you need to know where yours is in Ohio, you can go to OhioFoodBanks.org and there is a link on there that will show you which regional food bank covers your area and how to get a hold of them.
1: Mm -hmm. And what have you heard about the programs and the activities of the regional food banks during the COVID-19 pandemic? Have you heard anything about their stuff?
0: Well, I've been watching a little bit. I haven't been in contact with them directly. I've been, you know, just trying to let them do their thing right now. Right. Yeah, just just like everyone else, they are busting their behinds trying to meet the additional need. Uh, Across Mm -hmm. the country, what are we up to? An extra 7 million people have filed for unemployment in the last... Two weeks or something like that?
1: Yep. The last statistic I read was 6.6 million as of Thursday. So I'm sure we're up to 7 million now. That didn't count people that couldn't get through to the exchanges. So it's unprecedented.
0: Yeah. And if you happen to be one of those people who is having trouble getting through, two things to keep in mind. One, their advice is just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep And two, your benefits will be backdated. So once you get in the system, I realize that doesn't help right now, but yes, once you get it, your benefits will be backdated to when you originally uh, were unemployed. They will not be dated from when you finally got through.
1: (laughs) The exchanges know how backed up they are. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: States are struggling to add people to man the phones and that I think. Last I heard, Ohio was hiring another 180 people, and that was that was early last week, I think. So
1: only goes up from there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's great to hear about all the different options for kind of food pickups in the area, and it's really nice to see some libraries getting involved when they're kind of offering their services or their locations as food pickups. Have there been any interesting stories that you've heard about that you might want to share about libraries kind of getting involved almost uh, in concert with the regional food banks and a lot of these groups like the school?
0: Well, I am seeing this isn't a story out of the U.S. I don't know if the Canadian food banks work exactly the same, but uh, Toron- libraries up in Toronto are holding... Food pantries in the library. Uh, let me pull that article back up. Yes, Toronto's yeah. food banks were largely closed because of the pandemic. That is a problem. A lot of food banks are run by people who are in the at risk category. So mm-hmm. when it got time to stay home, that probably, that yep. closed down a lot of food banks right there. So somebody needed to help pick up the slack. And in America, you can do this, too. Uh, it says here, mm-hmm. the Toronto Library partnered with food banks to open pop-up locations in library branches. And mm-hmm. our warehouse is now a food hamper packing facility, all staffed by library volunteers. Now, those options are available in the U.S., too. Libraries are mm-hmm. eligible to be food pantries if your regional food bank does uh pop up or mobile pantries you can call in to see if you can get a pantry to come to your library whether it's for a day or however often your regional food bank will pop up in your area Uh, Mm -hmm. you can get that done that is a great service for people one of the things we like to tell libraries is food banks are generally run by volunteers they're uh, they have minimal hours, and they're often during hours when people might be working. And mm-hmm. you know there is the there are the working poor, there are the unemployed poor. And if you if your library can host a pantry that might have hours outside of normal working hours, if you can provide a food pantry in your library, whether it's a pop up or a full time food pantry, mm-hmm. you know this can be a lifesaver for somebody who can't make it into. A regular food pantry due to the uh minimal hours
1: absolutely and some of the coolest pop-ups that i've seen have actually been in northern ohio where they've been converting school buses and semi-trucks into mobile food pantries and literally just pulling up in the library parking lot and you know flipping open the sides almost like a food truck huh. and you know serving the whole community from there it's really a neat idea so you know win-win for the library as well and especially in these times i think when we're all practicing such extreme social distancing it's really important to have options like the pop-up pantries that can kind of keep that distance like you're saying difficult for volunteers it's also difficult for patrons to get to the food pantries when they're open of course you know at least in my food pantry most, most people most patrons work during the week and so Finagling their schedule around the pantry open hours are really difficult, and I I think a lot of the pop-up options are really, really well done and serve the whole community and just really help.
0: And if your library doesn't have the resources, I know a lot of libraries are really small, operate with a lot of part-time people, or maybe even only just a couple of part-time people. I know there are a couple of libraries in Ohio that have maybe five staff members, and several of them Mm -hmm. are part-time. Another option Mm -hmm. is to set up what's called a Little Free Pantry, and Mm -hmm. as we go through this conversation, when we mention programs, uh, we'll be putting up a blog post along with this that's going to have links to all of these programs. We're kind of going off of a brief article I wrote for the uh, Collaborative Summer Library Program newsletter recently, so we'll be modifying that just a little bit to uh, match up with this, but... The Little Free Pantries, which you can find some information on at littlefreepantry.org, mm. works just like the Little Free Libraries, except you stash them full of things like macaroni and cheese or deodorant or hygiene products, mm. granola bars. It's kind of like a backpack program in a birdhouse, essentially.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen them pop up any, everywhere. You even see Little Free Pantries at, like, police stations and um, different offices, like city offices and small towns, which has been really cool.
0: And one of the interesting things with the pandemic going on is that a lot of the little free libraries are being converted into little free pantries or sort of half and half books and food and supplies.
1: Yeah, I like to see that conversion happening, kind of what we need in in this time. People are just answering it. It's really cool Mm -hmm. to see that. I should also mention, for libraries that might be interested in having a little fruit pantry on their property, there's a small library near me in Licking County that partnered with the local Girl Scout troop, and they wanted to have a big project um, for their Girl Scout troop to work on together. And the the troop actually built a wooden little free pantry that sits in their parking lot. It's just the neatest thing. Uh So no cost for the library, great goodwill for the whole community, and a really fun project for the Girl Scout troop. So. Just, just to piggyback on that, it's a good idea. Yeah. Let's see. Well, oh, go ahead. One of the other things, I was just thinking, you know, we've talked about things that are a little bit, uh, I would say, more non-traditional. You know, mobile pantries and little free pantries are kind of just taking off in recent years. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the more traditional programs like summer food service programs or after school um, meal programs that libraries have been doing for a while and that are pretty easy to get involved in?
0: Sure. Yeah. The summer food service program is probably the most popular one. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. the eligibility. I think they've got a couple of ways, but... Uh, by and large, the one we work with the most is it's based on uh free and reduced price lunch applications at your district Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they're working on changing the numbers, but I think right now it's still, if your district Mm -hmm. and their applications, so if over 50% of the students are eligible for free and reduced price lunches, you are also Mm -hmm. eligible for summer food service and, uh. The CACFP, which is Child and Child and Adult Care Food Program.
1: Yep, you huh. got it. Woo.
0: No pressure I there. know,
1: it's a, that was a mouthful. We yeah. just call it CACFP. <laughs>
0: yeah, so with that, that program allows you to do some different things. It also goes to daycares and other kinds of... Programs. It does snacks and it operates during the school year, which allows for after school meals, which is something that was a little new to me. I'm sure it's been going on for a very long time and I just never heard of it. But yeah. with the Summer Food Service Program and the CACFP, the way this works is if you're in an eligible area, you can be reimbursed up to a certain dollar amount for providing up to two meals a day, uh, to any student 18 and under or 21 and under with an IEP. Mm -hmm. And you just have to provide them in an open setting for the most part. Those are the easiest ones to handle. Mm -hmm. They come in, they get a meal under certain parameters and there are always some, uh, what do they call it? Red tape. There's always some red tape along with those, but largely if you find a sponsor who can handle all of your paperwork, you pretty much just make sure hot food stays hot, cold food stays cold, do head counts, and you're supposed to make sure that nobody runs off with extra food.
1: <laughs> <laughs> feet belly. Do head counts and feet bellies, right?
0: Yep. That's yeah. the bulk of it. And the CACFP will allow you to do after school meals during the year. Um, so, cause yeah, some of course, those kids are only getting their meals at school. They might, if their school yeah. doesn't do breakfast, maybe lunch is the only meal they get a day. And if you can do dinner, you know, that's just yeah. one more, that's one more chance a kid has to, uh, get a good meal during the day.
1: Absolutely. And I think the original intent of the Summer Food Service Program is really to complement those free and reduce, reduced-price lunches at schools. So when you're looking at schools that especially have a high proportion of kids getting subsidized lunches, then it's really important to also have something, like you're saying, and have a dinner program or a Summer Food Service Program, just so that you're uh, targeting and, and basically answering the need of that whole population outside of those school year months. Yeah.
0: And if you're in Ohio, we have a number of great programs you can work with. The one I'm going to mention right now, Children's Hunger Alliance has ramped up a program where they are now able to offer shelf stable meals in all 88 counties. A number of places have always had trouble because you have to find someone to cook the food. If you don't, if you're not prepared to cook the food yourself, So, a lot of places don't have facilities to cook for large numbers of people, and there was no place within a reasonable distance that would make and deliver the food for the prices that were offered. So, what Children's Hunger Alliance has done is they have found a way to get shelf-stable meals to all 88 counties so that nobody has to say we can't do it. There is no food to provide. That's no longer the case.
1: That was great news. And I think that just came about, was it this past January? It was rather recently, wasn't it?
0: Uh, It might be a little further back, but uh, like in the last year or so, I think. Maybe one of these days we can get uh, Jared or someone on the line and they can talk about how all of this Uh, came along, but I'm sure they're far too busy for that right now.
1: Oh my gosh, yes. Especially right in the middle of all this. Yeah.
0: But uh, that does... Oh, go ahead.
1: No, you go ahead first.
0: I was just going to say that does uh, bring up one interesting question. Mm -hmm. I know over the last year, in my area at least, the need has been going down, and they calculate their, Mm -hmm. well... Let's take a step backwards here. One, if you can encourage people to fill out the application, that helps. A lot of people do not fill out the free and reduced-price lunch applications, either because they don't want to accept help, they don't know about it, or any number of reasons. And when people don't fill out the applications, that has the very real possibility of taking food off of someone else's plate. So if if you have a good... I don't
1: think there's... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't think there's a lot of awareness of that fact either, so I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah, so if we can get, the more people we can get to fill out the application, the better, but uh, another problem is the eligibility for summer food service is calculated in the fall, and Mm -hmm. we, you know, we've had six, seven million people apply for unemployment,
1: Yeah. and
0: so... That's going to be a lot more hungry people this summer, because I'm sure everything's not going to just come roaring back immediately. We might, yes. we might have a few, we might have more than a few people who are going to need a little extra assistance, at least through the rest of Ab- this year, maybe longer.
1: Absolutely, and it's really important to recognize that their numbers were not tallied. These huge unemployment numbers were not tallied in the last go round for basically funding for all of these programs.
0: So one of the things we might need to do, and I've already done this, Mm -hmm. uh, contact your representative and ask them if there is a plan for recalculating uh, SFSP and CACFP eligibility, or if there is an alternate plan to just make it available everywhere, or if there's a complete alternative coming up, if the schools will just continue operating to provide meals during the summer as they are. Uh, There there are any number of things that can happen, but right now I don't think we know what or if.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And I know on the food pantry front, some food pantries are saying... You know, this is obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic. We have more people in need than we ever have before. We're not going to pretend it's business as usual. Therefore, they're lifting a lot of these restrictions. It would be wonderful if the other programs that are available to the schools and also available to libraries could do the same thing. That'd be really good.
0: Yeah, it's true. That's one thing we didn't mention. CACFP and SFSP are available to uh, entities like libraries. Any nonprofit, mm-hmm. so like churches, YMCA's,
1: yeah. uh, basically any community center.
0: Yes, that was the you word know, I was looking large.
1: for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's a really good point to mention as well, because the idea behind these programs, there's not supposed to be any stigma attached to them. Basically, they just identify areas in need, which, again, as you pointed out, are identified by the free and reduced-price lunches, the need in that area for free and reduced-price lunches. And then once a need is identified and an area is identified as an eligible area, there is this need here, then they're just these programs are basically available to community centers that want to open up and host them. And I think that's really important for us to realize.
0: Yeah. and. There are maps that show the places that have done this in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the maps for the current year often go live either in the middle of the summer food service season or even after, because it's a very underfunded staff-wise program, and it takes them a while to get everything updated. Yeah. So, one, if your library can do this, check with the schools, because the school's Are generally the place that know where uh, food is going to be served so you can check with Mm -hmm. the schools or there are maps that I will show you Uh, there's a capacity builder map and another map that the name eludes me right now but there are two maps that will tell you where where is eligible so you could see if you're eligible and then There's the one that will tell you who is already serving in your area. So, and if your library isn't a good location, maybe you could partner with a church or a community center or something not too far away and provide, you know, you can get the food started with this other group and then you could provide Mm -hmm. uh, programming along with it because... One of the things we found out is kids would rather be hungry than bored. I don't understand it myself.
1: (laughs) But it does happen. Yeah. Yep. I've I've read about a lot of libraries partnering with the local parks and rec um, groups that are providing summer food service. And they'll go out to where the food is being delivered into story time and crafts and Kind of what we would think of as enrichment games with the kids that are there getting the summer food, and once again, it takes all that stigma away from the idea of getting a free lunch, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, there's a library just up the road from me here. Actually, mm-hmm. I'll just go ahead and say it's uh, Kate's yeah. library. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Marysville <laughs> Public Library. There, she's one of our team members, and they there's a outdoor pavilion that i think was put up by memorial health and they use that pavilion because it's just just adjacent to their property they use this giant pavilion to serve lunch during the summer
1: yeah and we should mention that kate's library is one of the largest sites in ohio too so it's nice to have an open outdoor pavilion for that
0: (laughs) it doesn't seem like it would be uh such a high volume place given the size of the area around them. But, you know, mm-hmm. you're not you're not checking IDs or anything and you normalize this. Everybody comes in and nobody's just pointing a finger and telling you, oh, you're taking yeah. a free lunch. You know, this is what and libraries we, do. You, you know, show up, you get free stuff, and nothing's different.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I think that's really important. You come up and you get all the freebies and that's how it is. You know, Shane, you've talked a lot about the different things that libraries are doing in the food insecurity realm, and you mentioned part of the team. Do you want to talk a little bit about Team Biddles and how that group got involved in food insecurity in the first place?
0: Oh, my goodness. All right. Let's add Mm -hmm. another hour in here because I'm ready to talk. (laughs) But uh, to, to do the short, short version... Uh, At one point a few years ago, I was trying to get involved with the summer food service program, and I kept running into roadblocks because it's you have the very real possibility, which happened with both of my locations, that the line for eligibility may run right down the street in front of you, and your side's not eligible and the other side is. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally got that part worked out, and then it was just darn near impossible to find someone to provide food, and I thought, there's, there's got to be a better way to do this, and I had a really pie-in-the-sky kind of idea. I talked to some friends at the State Library, and they're like, you know, Shane, maybe you might want to try this, and they steered me in a more practical direction. They hooked me up with one of their team members, Greg Gassman, who was very involved in the state libraries initiative to get more places involved in summer food service. I should probably mention that uh, the state library started in 2012 making a bigger push to get libraries involved and since then libraries have really answered the call and I believe they now account for like 11 or so percent of all of the Summer food sites in the state of Ohio. Uh,
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think according to Dr. Noah Lenska's studies, um, health and wellness programs in libraries, I think Ohio had the biggest participation um, of libraries in the summer food service program after California. Was that right?
0: It sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. So kudos to... Janet and yes. her efforts, I, I, she, she's quick to point out she wasn't the one who started the effort, but by golly, has she spearheaded it in the last several years and really gotten absolutely. it to take off. We call her our and fifth Janet, beetle.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Janet Ingraham Dwyer um, is at the State Library and works as a consultant with children's librarians all over the state of Ohio, so she has amazing contacts of what's going on and programs and how to build them. And we really see through her push that program just grow and blossom. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A couple of other things in the years since then, uh, Well, I guess to go back and finish the story, uh, Greg put out a call to try to get a couple more people to get involved in a leadership institute. And he had been working with Sarah and Mm -hmm. uh, Gina from university of mount union did i get that correct
1: you did yep in alliance ohio yes and
0: then uh talked to kate from marysville and poof team biddles was born we got ourselves a grant as part of the leadership institute we got another grant from working with ohionet uh We've been going around, a lot of what we do now is just advocacy. We learn about new programs, we go to conventions and seminars, we talk to different people about getting involved, and mm-hmm. we do some writing every once in a while. Mm-hmm. That's exciting, I've got to go back, we've got a book chapter that's supposed to be coming out soon, i got to give it a last once-over and send it back tonight, Yet. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's that's kind of a good feeling. We've got a book chapter coming out as soon as you, uh, okay the editing, right? Yep. Kind of cool. Yeah.
0: So that's a little bit of the background about Team Vittles. Uh, That was
1: a good five-minute version. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Five minutes crammed into eight to ten, I think, but.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Close, close it up. We'll go with it, right? Yeah. Well, I guess my question with all of this, you know, as we talk about all these things going on and all these possibilities, what do you think is next for libraries? And I mean that in sense of long term, short term and in the middle. So what do you think is next for this summer, for this fall, for the next year, as we, you know, recognize that we don't know how the pandemic is going to change everything? So what do you think about all that? What's what's next for libraries and food?
0: Well, a lot of libraries are already in the food fight, but I think there are still far more that haven't uh, been able to get involved yet. And what I think is it's going to be incumbent on us to bring this up, whether if we're a director to get the initiative started. Maybe your director mm-hmm. hasn't been focused in that area, so maybe it's our job to bring it up with our director. Uh, after looking at the map, seeing seeing what the uh, situation on the ground is in our area, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of options. So we can try to start something here. We can find partners to get something started with.
1: Well, Shane, what what have we not talked about yet that was on you know your mind as things you want to touch on today?
0: Well, if your library happens to be doing either curbside pickup. Or even better, delivery. And this Mm -hmm. goes in with outreach programs, bookmobiles, uh, homebound services through the rest of the year, and not just at this time. But uh, there's a program called the Senior Box Program that I believe most of the uh, regional food banks can get involved in. It's Mm -hmm. a large box of food that can be distributed to seniors and... I think it's designed to last maybe a month, but a lot of seniors mm-hmm. can't get out to get get their box. So if your program has eligible seniors uh, either on your homebound circuit or around your bookmobile circuit, you can get involved with the food uh, the regional food banks and deliver these boxes of food to seniors. I think it would be a great addition to the regular just book delivery and a little bit of socialization that it provides.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a wonderful addition to outreach too, especially right now when you know people are really scared to leave their homes. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I was just going to add, if you want to see an example of senior boxes, the last time I looked them up, I was on the Mid-Ohio Food Bank website. So that's a really easy one to Google and see a good example of what these senior boxes are.
0: Yep. And if you're in Ohio, there's probably about a one in four chance you're in the mid-Ohio food banks region. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because they cover like, what, 23 or 24 counties?
1: (laughs) They, They are huge. They are absolutely huge. Yeah, they do a great job. And they go all over the state from central Ohio all the way down to southeast. So pretty neat. Yeah. Well, so far we've talked a little bit about food insecurity, we've talked about what libraries are doing, um, especially programs that libraries can get involved in to help alleviate food insecurity in their areas, really help deliver meals and snacks, especially to children in need. Um, we've talked a little bit about what, you know, some libraries are doing with pop-up pantries and mobile pantries, and also just how important it is to get the word out and To really, you know, write to your representative and take a moment and really advocate for the idea that we need to recognize a lot. There's going to be a lot more need than we've ever had this year. And, you know, we need support basically to support our community. So beyond just little free pantries, what else can we do? What do you think, Shane?
0: Well, we'll just go back into a little recap. We've got the Summer Food Service Program, which you can check out through the USDA uh, mapper. There is the Mm -hmm. area eligibility mapper and the capacity builder. You can look Mm -hmm. up either of those online and find out if your area is eligible. One of the maps has a way to find out who served last year, the year before. It'll show you if there are churches, schools, museums, libraries in the area since they're generally all eligible for this. Mm -hmm. So you can see who's operating, who can operate. And again, this only shows programs that are funded by the USDA program. It won't show you Mm -hmm. if there is a self-funded program going on, so you might have to do a little sleuthing in case there's one of those, like the one right across the street Mm -hmm. from my library. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got the CACFP, which operates under pretty much the same parameters. There are a couple of slight differences, but we're not going to go into those right now. Uh, We've got the senior box programs that you can get involved in. You can become a pantry. You can host a pop-up pantry. The little free pantries, 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 pantries.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: And if you're not sure what you can do, we can try to help you get connected. Again, Shane or Sarah at Mm teenvittles.org. And if you go to feedingamerica.org slash find-your-local-foodbank, mm-hmm. that'll show you which which area food bank serves you. So mm-hmm. you can just go in, punch in your address, and it'll bring up what's going on in your area. And then you can mm-hmm. contact them and find out how your organization, whether it's your library, your church, the YMCA, the community center, you can find out how you can get involved or more involved in being a part of the solution. And again, if there is any way we can help with this, mm-hmm. we're happy to we're happy to make those phone calls, uh make those emails, set up those connections.
1: Mm-hmm. What usually
0: happens? Yep. What usually happens is we get the conversation started and we just hand it right back over to you rather than play telephone. And honestly, most of the time they would rather talk to you anyway. So they'll say, okay, <laughs> give us to them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, we can help connect all those pieces of the puzzle together.
0: That's right. Yeah. So we will, we will help you in any way we can.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think with that said we've introduced the whole idea and it's been fun going over all this with you.
0: Yeah. I think the last thing I can add on is if you go, if you're on Facebook, the collaborative summer uh, library program has a group that's dedicated to this topic. It's called CSLP feeding the whole child libraries and food. So if you look that up, uh, it's just Facebook.com slash groups slash CSLP feeds. And you can join in the conversation there. And that's that's for anyone in the country. So if you want to get in there, you'll be talking with people from all over. We can all share, and there's we've got a good number of people. The conversation's starting to roll. So if you want to get mm-hmm. in there, find out what other people are doing, share what you're doing, or say. Hey, would this work? Because I personally, I love the brainstorming. I love, to, I love yeah. to try to find new ways.
1: I'm smiling because I think that means we're all a bunch of green. But yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> personality tests, huh?
1: <laughs> personality tests are fun. Hell yes, yeah. brainstorming was a very high one in all of our personality tests. Yep.
0: So. All right unless you have anything else sarah i i think we've about gone through as much as we can do for today
1: i think you're right i just want to thank everybody for listening and this has been really fun it's good to talk about these things we hope to help you guys get involved and keep supporting
0: yep and check us out at teamvittles.org on the web uh we've got a number of blog posts uh Sarah has done a lot of writing, and we've sort of taken a pause during the pandemic to retool a little bit, and we'll pick that back up soon. But yeah, check us out. We got a lot of information. If, you'd le- if you've if you got something you'd like to share, whether it's a story of what you're doing or something you've seen done, let us know. We, we don't mind guest bloggers either.
1: <laughs> mm. We just encourage.
0: Yep. All right. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you again for joining Team Vittles in their podcast. You can find more information about Team Vittles at www.teamvittles.org or on Facebook and Twitter. The theme music for our podcast is Peanut Butter and Jam by Illogical Bit. You can find them on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com illogicalbit. Music promoted by www-free-stock-music.com. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by dash sa slash 3.0 slash d dot en underscore capital U capital S